Welcome to the Fire and Soul Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Sorrow. I believe in taking massive, inspired action from an awakened soul. This show is a weekly dose of spiritual principles, personal development, and success strategies for creating an epically aligned life. Here's to your wildest dreams coming true with less hustle, grit and grind, more flow, ease, and grace. I'm the founder of the Live Video Mastery Academy, a TV host, speaker, best-selling author, and proud fur mama, and I'll be sharing real talks with successful entrepreneurs, thought leaders, best-selling authors, spiritual luminaries, and high-performance experts in this unfiltered, transformational, and soul-centered podcast. Things are about to get real. Are you ready? Let's get started. Hey there, welcome back to the Fire and Soul podcast. Well, summer is about to end, but we've got some really cool things lined up. They're going to really launch us into an epic fourth quarter holiday season and then an amazing year of 2020. And it starts with granting yourself permission to show up stand up and speak up in this epic year-long mastermind coaching program with Patty Aubrey at the helm. Now, Patty Aubrey is a longtime visionary and also known as the billion-dollar brand builder. She's president of Jack Canfield Companies and has 14 New York Times bestselling books under her own name, but she is who finally stepping into her true mission in her next act of life, which is to empower and to inspire us females to truly design the life of our dreams and to live it out loud. So I just want to share something else with you. And I've shared this before, but I'll share it again because it is so worth repeating. In a quick five-minute masterminding conversation with me a few months back, she shared with me this concept of her big dreamer mastermind. And I listened to it and I was like, wow, that sounds so good. And I would love to do something like that. But I thought, well, I couldn't do that. I'm not ready for that. I haven't, I haven't been coaching long enough or I haven't built up enough expertise. All the things that I say we shouldn't be doing, I was having those thoughts, right? We're human. Well, with her razor sharp instincts, which by the way, would be available to you sitting in her hot seat in one of her coaching sessions, throughout permission granted, she said to me, you could do this. You could totally do this. And there was something about having Patty Aubrey grant me that permission where I just decided to step into it and to show up for myself and for the people's lives that I wanted to change and to help transform as online entrepreneurs with a message on their heart to help others. And so I said yes, and I launched it. Well, you guys, that one five-minute coaching idea from Patty generated me $60,000 in less than 24 hours. That's right. I launched that program and within 24 hours, it was completely sold out with a wait list. Then I launched a second one and that completely sold out. Now I have a third wait list. I just really don't have time on my schedule right now to open up a third one, but that's how popular it was. And that idea came from Patty. So I want you to ask yourself, in addition to be surrounded by a supportive tribe of female like-minded, like-hearted souls with epic guest speakers like Lisa Nichols, Eon the Van Zant, Lori Harder, Lindsay Simsick, and so many others, including yours truly, which I'm completely honored by. What else could you learn by being around Patty Aubrey? You know, proximity is power, and this is how things start to level up, my friends. So yes, definitely check it out. It's in the show notes 
of this podcast episode. This is not an ad. They're not sponsoring this conversation. This is because it's how much I believe in this program. And I will be on those calls alongside with you. So yes, I'm a guest speaker, but I also said, listen, I want to be a part of the program. And for under $100 a month, if you finance it, it is such a no-brainer. It's ridiculous. Okay, so permission granted registration is the link in my show notes. Just go check it out. Grant yourself permission to go check it out because it will be worth your time. All right, we're now going to dive in to today's guest, Tony Watley. This man has a very popular podcast called The 365 Driven Life. He is an incredible person. I actually talk a lot about who he is and how we got to know each other in the podcast. So I'm not going to go over that now. I want to just get right to it. But let me just give you a brief overview. He's so epic, you guys. I highly encourage you to follow his podcast and to engage with him on social media because he is so present and so genuine. And he's got a sticky following. I mean, his community, yeah, they're very engaged. Everything that he has to offer just comes from his soul, and it's so sincere. Tony Watley is an entrepreneur. He is a multimillionaire, business mentor, best-selling author, podcast host, and speaker. He's best known as co-founder of LS1 Tech, an online automotive company which grew into the largest of its kind. This website grew to over 300,000 registered members and was later sold for multiple seven figures in only five years. Whoa. Amazingly, it was just his part-time business. Tony shares his mindset and business strategies with his book, Side Hustle Millionaire, and teaches people how to create and scale their companies. This is so worth a listen, you guys. You are going to be so happy that you tuned in for this conversation. It's real and it's for you. Please enjoy my dear friend, Mr. Tony Watley. Tony, welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy you're here. I'm so happy that you've been on my show and we're connecting on your show now. I know. This is how, see, podcasters unite, man. <laughs> we do. We do. We had a great conversation in Los Angeles at a, a previous event in January. And it's good to connect. And it's really good to go out there and meet these incredible people at these different events. You never know who you're going to come up with. It's so true. And I love that you said that. And so we actually did. We met at Jake Ballantyne's Authors, Speakers, and Coaches Summit. It was his first, and I'm certain will not be the last. And I love Jake. You know, he's been a phenomenal friend and coach and mentor to me. He actually gave me incredible wisdom and advice at that summit that you saw happen in real time mm -hmm. because I was vulnerable in front of everyone. No surprise. But then you were a speaker, and I got to break bread with you, have a meal with you, meet your lovely wife, Lisa, whom I totally loved immediately because she was a girl's girl. And I just thought, wow, you know, you're such an awesome entrepreneur, and you go against the grain, at least from what I've seen, it looks like oftentimes, the fancy, shiny baubles of all that. You're just the real deal. You're the workhorse. You've got an amazing mindset, a very successful, unexpected career. And a beautiful, loyal, very engaged following. And I know how much you're beloved and respected and admired. And I just thought I have to have you on because I have the best mindsets on this show. So I'm honored that you're here. I really am. Well, I appreciate those kind words and you're making me blush. That you, can't <laughs> hear, you can't hear this on a podcast, but I'm blushing right now. Oh, well, I really, I, it's not hyperbole and it's actually an understatement. You know, so I want to talk about your grassroots how quickly you were able to tap into your entrepreneurial spirit and mindset, really, and where you are now and how that's come full circle 
about how now you're giving back, which is the cornerstone of really what your 365 driven philosophy and platform is all about. I'll say that I didn't start life with a strong mindset. I think I was the, my mom's Japanese, so immigrant. I grew up in a predominantly you know, white ethnicity, redneck neighborhood, for better lack of words, because we're here in Texas. Houston, yes, still my hometown. <laughs> but growing up as an immigrant, half-immigrant child, and I, I saw racism. You know, racism just doesn't come with the darker skin colors. It's just when you're different, it stands out. And I had bullies. And I had people telling me I was too small, too slow, all these different categories to try to put you in. My mom's only five foot tall. I mean, I, luckily I grew 5'11", but honestly, that didn't happen until my junior year of high school. So I was always smaller. There was times that I was wondering if I was even going to be my mom's height. And so as a man, it's especially as a young boy, it's, it's tough when you're getting picked on. And I would always try to keep up. I did a lot of violent type sports, you know, martial arts and, and X games, like what we call those today. But I was doing BMX and skateboarding and I've always been a daredevil. I've always been an adrenaline junkie. And that actually kind of led into maybe gaining some more of the confidence that really served me very well as an entrepreneur. Mm, in what way? Just being able to take risks and even the things that probably should have killed me, <laughs> racing cars. I mean, I still do a lot of things. My wife and I were both adrenaline junkies and we like to go fast and do things and I think that has made me a little bit less risk averse where I'm willing to take those risks for the, the outcome or the glory or the, just the adrenaline rushes that you receive from those things. So for me, business is really just another game and I love to play that game. So you take the risk, but you also have an unbelievably inexhaustible, strong work ethic. And while you're, you do work smarter, not harder, but like putting yourself through college, that wasn't your usual turn of events. Share what, what happened there. So I grew up lower middle class. Mom was a cafeteria lady in the public high school for her entire career. My dad was in the military when I was born, U.S. Marines, gunnery sergeant, very disciplined. Mom was very disciplined on the education things because as a, as a woman in Japan in her era, women were basically taken out of school after junior high because that was enough to know the domestic duties of being a wife or a housewife or a farmer. She grew up on farms. So she always you know, regretted not getting that further education, seeing what the boys got to do and keep finishing their education and go to college. So she very, very much valued education. And to give you an idea of how strict my mom was, hmm. I did not miss one day of school from kindergarten through graduation. Oh, wow. I don't care what that thermometer says. I don't care what's going on with the skin or the eyes. You are going to school. That's right. If you're not dead, get on the bus because I got a job to do <laughs> not having babysitters. And I kind of saw it as a challenge after a while. I was like, you know what? Yeah. Why, why do I need to take time off to go? And it that kind of bothered me. Actually, I was like a little bit of a workaholic in my twenties. And it kind of explains a lot about the school. You, you mentioned about paying for school. I was working full time in the chemical refineries. Didn't take too many summers working out 95 degrees in this humidity we have here in Texas to understand that I would rather have a job in the air conditioning and, and make some more money. So I said, you know, what's the fastest path to six figures? We always hear this. I mean, 30 years ago, it was the same things we had. If you can make 100000 a year, I don't think it's successful now, but that's how we've always defined it. That's how culture, society, we come to this six-figure thing that always comes up. But it still is, Tony. I mean, six figures is still, I mean, in the 1% of the population of this country. Yeah, but I thought it would be like flying on jets and driving around in a Rolls Royce and doing these <laughs> kind of things, you know, because when you grow up, I mean, we are literally 
my dad was the first person in his family to not buy a trailer home. So half his family still in trailers, you know, in Louisiana. And it was just about, he wanted better for his family. So we actually moved to a house with a foundation. So his decision created our education. We moved to a very good city of Friendswood with an amazing public school system just to try to help us get better. So I always thank my parents for doing that. They worked extra hard to be able to afford a home they really you know, had to struggle to do. We, all of our homes we lived in were fixer-uppers. Mm-hmm. We'd buy the ugliest house in the neighborhood, literally, and then spend the next few years fixing it up as we go, and then they would sell and upgrade, and that's just what they did. So I got a really strong work ethic from them mm. because they taught me that life is not fair, that if you want something, you have to work for it, and nobody's going to give it to you. There's nothing unfair in life, and, I, and that's something I believe even as an early child. It's like there's no fair. We didn't have allowance. We didn't have these things. If I wanted something, I had to go push the lawnmower around the neighborhood and knock on doors just looking for tall grass, and if they would say no, I'd say, can I wash your car for $5? So I was a hustler even at age 10 to 12. <laughs> I love it. Speaking my love language right there. So was I, my friend. And so you were working at the chemical refinery and getting your degree at the same time. Did I read correctly that it took you seven years working nights with a full load and a full-time job, but that you got that degree? It was actually the way around. I was working full time in the daytime when it was the miserable hot weather. Yes. And then I would go to school at night. So I, I did night school. And with an engineering program, a lot of times you have to take off a semester or take fewer classes because they don't have the same classes like night and day that kind of stagger them. And so here I was working, you know, basically taking two to three classes a semester and working full time and sleeping about four hours per night. Wow. Now, what made you keep going? I mean, I can see after like three years, four years, which is the standard amount of time, but seven years. I mean, was what was the dangling carrot there for you? Was it your mother's words your whole life? I think it was. It was also, even my dad is always, if you quit anything, you'll be a quitter for the rest of your life. And okay. that, that thing still, still rings true to me now. That's why I always like to see things through. Mm-hmm. And also, as funny as this sounds, I I remember thinking, man, this engineering is tough. It wasn't easy for me. I was average at math, and that's all math, basically, all math and science. And I was struggling through it. I was making C's, occasionally make a B, maybe once in a while I'd make an A. But it was really hard. And I went from top 10% in high school to being average in college. I didn't get my first C until I got to college. And it was actually really impactful. I was like, wow, I'm just very average here. This is not what I thought. <laughs> you think that you're top 10% in high school and you get into college, you're like, well, I'm just going to be top 10% here too. Not when you're in engineering school. So it was a it was a mental reset, understanding that I need to learn how to study and do better and, and improve and, and push myself. But the thing is, I would never quit because quitting is for losers. Like we hear this all the time. And, and I, I knew a lot of people that were highly paid successful people that I thought weren't very smart. We, we all know people like that. They're, they're highly successful, but they're like, man, they don't really have much common sense or maybe there's not much intelligence up there. And honestly, as funny as that sounds, I would think if that person can do it, then I can do it. And it kind of pushed me through and I didn't want to quit. Amazing. Well, and would you say that that strong work ethic and then your dad's words lingering in your ear and your mindset of quitters or losers, did that foster a patience and a perseverance? I think I've always had the patience. That's something that I picked up from my mom. She's got the empathy and the patience and and she cares about other people. And I was very patient as a kid. I would build model cars. I would draw and paint. 
So I was very good at entertaining myself for hours on end without having, you know, being very patient because I was always considering the outcome. And honestly, that does play into the businesses. To me, I focus on the potential outcome of a business that allows me to be patient and actually execute the steps that are required to get there. Exactly. So what's interesting is there's like a little bit of a juxtaposition for anyone listening, which is why I'm so intrigued by you. So on the one hand, at the very core of you is a lot of patience. By the way, a lot of brilliance. He plays it down, but a lot of brilliance because you figured things out in your own way. That's the engineer in you, the mother, the father in you, and Tony, what you're here to do. But then there's this other part that's not patient, figured out how to circumvent the system, you know, and create six-figure side hustles or this, you call it the, no, the side hustle millionaire, the book, your best-selling book. And we'll make sure that we put up a link because I want everyone to read it, which is you created these side hustles, high six, seven figure side hustles in like one to two hours a day of your time. So that's an interesting juxtaposition. What do you think's going on there? Early on when I was, even when I got out of school and I had an engineering job, it really felt like it was a part-time job because I had gone from hustle mode for seven years, essentially, into working a eight hour a day job and, and going home at night. I was like, what is this? What do I do? What do you do with the free time? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, this is a bunch of nonsense. It's like, you know what? I can be earning some more mm. in these times. So what I did originally was go find other jobs. So here I was with an engineering degree, getting off from work at four 30, going home, changing, and then going and working at the restaurants that I previously had worked at. And I'd wait tables, pick up tables, manage the restaurant just to make extra money. Cause if I can make an extra hundred, 150 bucks a night, that's what I was going to do instead of sit on the couch and watch TV like the rest of the country does. And on the weekends I was working on cars. I was repairing cars, waxing cars, doing things like that. And I would go wait tables again on those nights. So anytime I had free time, I was like, you know, I'm just going to go find another job, go work, be productive to be able to buy the things I like. Cause you know, when you don't grow up with money, you really want a lot of different things. And I like a lot of nice things. Like you mentioned earlier, I have a lot of nice cars, Cars are my passion. Cars and business are my two passions in this world. I would say your number one passion is Lisa Watley. That's, well, that's, that's the given because that's the married passion. Well, it's amazing, you guys. I wish you could see the two of them. How long have you been married? Since 2005. And you look like newlyweds. You act like newlyweds. And she's googly-eyed for you and vice versa. Honestly, that was a major inspo for me, getting to sit down next to you for a couple of meals and see the two of you together. I just adore her. Okay, that was woman to woman. Love you, Lisa. Okay, now back to what you think are your two main passions, the cars and business, for sure. Yeah, so when you don't have things, you figure out. Entrepreneurs, since we're on that subject, entrepreneurs figure out how to do things. Most people make excuses of why they can't afford it. They're never going to be able to afford it. They're never going to. I didn't grow up thinking I was going to be a millionaire. Never, I never thought I would be that. I just, I just thought that wasn't that was for rich people to become millionaires. I didn't believe in that stuff until I started to see the the changes and the habits and the things that led me there. And what was that? For me, the word is consistency. Consistency is my favorite word. Everything I look back at, anything that I can look at, at my successes or achievements, it all came down to me being consistent. And for the listeners, I know that some of you guys are rolling your eyes because you're thinking like, this is just, we hear this all the time, consistency, you know, be a good person, be consistent, work hard, you know, all these different things. But you know what? Those are foundational. That's and the right. problem is, is we hear this so often that we kind of disregard foundational things because we think that there's some secret out there that I'm not finding yet. So I'm listening to Michelle's podcast, or maybe you're listening to my podcast, or you're reading books, or you're talking to our mentors and doing all these things. You're always looking for this hidden secret message. But when it all boils down to is 
foundational things like consistency, if you would really focus on the foundational items, you would have so much more. I think you'd already have 80% of the problem solved. It's so true. I teach a, a lab, the Live Video Mastery Lab, and I entice people into the program by saying, you'll discover the three C's that convert any viewer into any program. And one of the C's, I won't give the other two away, but one of the C's is consistency. It's like, you guys, just do this every day. And in a short period of time, shorter than you think, but longer than you want, <laughs> you know, you will get everything. But most people give up too soon because they want the quick fix. So then they pay a lot of money for what the promise is of a quick fix. That's always a house of cards. There's no way around it. I love that you just said that. And you know why we repeat the same things that are so basic that people would roll their eyes is because they're truths. The simple truths are foundational. I love that you said that. Yeah. And there's a lot of people out there that don't even understand fully what consistency is. And it's like you touched on, it's like showing up every day and doing the damn work. And <laughs> there's, there's people that think, well, you know, I can do it for five days a week and, and man, that's, that's pretty consistent. No, there's no such thing as pretty consistent. It's, you know, Michelle, you and I are creating things on social media, probably two to three to five times a day, like every day, like even on weekends, we're on vacation. I was in Las Vegas last week, still making posts. Still, yeah. still being involved, still engaging my group, yes. still building a community, yep. still building that personal brand. Because here's the thing that entrepreneurs need to understand is that especially with social media being such a powerful tool, you need to consider that marketing and building your personal brand is one of your roles and responsibilities. It's kind of like if you're an administrative assistant, one of your roles and responsibilities is to take notes in a meeting and, and put those into a, a minutes of meeting form. That's one of your roles. Well, yeah. as an entrepreneur, especially on social media, like one of your roles is personal branding and building that. That requires everyday effort. That's amazing. I love that. And it's true. While I don't post every day while I might be away or even just at home because I do find a balance, but I do believe in an integrated work balance lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And when it really is what you love doing and leading you know, serving your community. And I want to talk about that in a moment because you were there the day that mine spawned and it never feels like work. It feels like I want to go in and love on the people that are there and that are showing up, not for me, but for themselves. That's what I dreamed of. So why wouldn't I want to go in even just like two, three minutes? It's everything. And it's definitely how you create raving fans. I've seen it. And it's an incredible thing. So the communities that you have, so you've got 365 Driven on social media. And then, of course, you've got your own personal page, Tony Watley. And we'll, we'll link all this. We'll link the podcast. But the 365 Driven, that's grown to, what, 6,000 people? No, it's almost 3,000 people. Oh, 3,000. But you know what? As awesome as that community is, that's actually the small community that I created. Which one is your biggest? So the first business that I created was ls1tech.com, an automotive community, and it grew to 300,000 registered members. What? Yes. When did you do that? 2001 to 2007. Where was it? Facebook didn't exist. <laughs> no, it was pre-social media. That was an online forum for car guys to hang out and talk about racing and building cars and learning how to drive faster and do these things. So I've built a massive community, one of the largest ones on the internet. Holy smokes. Okay, that's incredible. So 300,000 person community before social media even really existed. See, now that is a brilliance that only a few have, my friend. What made you think of that? 
honestly, I just wanted to build someplace cool for people to hang out and talk about cars. And and the funny thing is, is that we had no idea that it was going to be as successful as it was. That was the the basis of the book, Side Hustle Millionaire, is when we eventually sold that company to a larger corporation, we had a multiple seven-figure exit plan in only six years after starting it. Wow. But it was because we invested so much in the community, and I love communities. Mm. I, I feel like I am a master community builder. Mm. It's, it's because we try to create so much value for the people so they can enjoyment. And here's the beauty of my business. Even though it became a multi-million dollar business, I helped dozens of other people launch their own multi-million dollar businesses from my webpage because they were able to start shops, start manufacturing companies, start racetracks, all advertising from my website. Some, most of them started from their garages. I still have a lot of friends that are involved in those. There's seven and eight figure companies now because they started from something that I created as a community. Wow. That's incredible. So you've taken that, that beautiful thing called community, which as our friend Jake Ballantyne say, that is the new coaching currency is a community. I'll never forget because last year was when I basically started all this, right? It was the spring of 2018. So I haven't been doing it long, really stepping into what I know I was born for, right? And when you discover that, you can't go back. That's where you are. And I know you've been there for a while. I want to tap into that in a moment. But I remember it was kind of like, piecemealing things together and trying to figure out where the consistency was, where the through line was. I wasn't sure. And that's when Jake said to me in January at that summit, you know, Michelle, what I see for you is building a community. I mean, one month later, I built a community that's already now almost 1,400 people in three months time. And it's so engaged, like 30% of that community is doing videos every day. And it's so magical. And I built it or created it because it's what I wanted, kind of like what you described from 2000, 2001. You created what was missing. You created what you would have enjoyed being a part of, and it just happened to be something that you got to lead. And that was the same thing for me. I love live video. I believe in live video. I think it's going to change the world of marketing and advertising. And you can build a laptop lifestyle in a matter of like one live video. And it's powerful in the algorithms and the reach, et cetera. So live video for me is the secret sauce, but I didn't have a community. So how is your community impacting your life and the lives of others that you've got going now under 365 Driven? Well, I think there's a lot of stuff that I'd like to, to touch on that you just mentioned with the building of the community. People pick their leader. Mm. Like you can decide that you want to be a leader, but people have to be driven or intrigued or, or attracted by your charisma and your character. Because a lot of times people think like, what makes a good leader? Well, honesty, integrity, like all these core values that we tend to have, right? Well, right. you know what? All, all people should be honest. All people should have integrity. All people should be transparent. Like mm. these aren't like leadership properties. These are human properties. So what differentiates these people from being leaders, it's the character that they bring to the table. It's the, the energy that they show, that they show that they care about the people that are helping support their cause. So mm -hmm. I actually mentioned that in the speech in, in LA that we met is that you have to have a dream much bigger than you. You have to dream so big that your dream can contain the dreams of everybody that supports you. And in order for you to do that, you have to be really thinking big. And most people fail right at the beginning of this because they only think big enough as them. They think of them as the, as the peak of the mountain, so to speak. Well, for a community owner, someone that's building a community, I'm like thinking of things like an upside down mountain where I'm at the peak, but at the bottom holding the mountain upside down. Beautiful. It's way bigger than me. Beautiful. And if you can help people get what they want 
you're going to get what you want. I mean, that's a Zig Ziglar thing. You can have everything in life that you want as long as you're willing to help other people get what they want. And that's what you need to be as a community leader is getting the results for your people. I love that. The givers get give, 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 ask. And by the way, when you did say that part in your speech, we all had our eyes closed because you guided us through a closed eyes process. Mm -hmm. And I remember when you said that, that make sure your dream is so big that it contains the dreams of the people that you care about. And that's when everybody was crying. Everybody was getting truth bumps. It was so powerful. You could feel the energy unite in that room. Mm -hmm. And that's when I was like, okay, Tony and I are going to be friends forever. (laughs) (laughs) I want to know people like this because it showed me for all time that you were thinking, so beyond yourself, you were the peak of the mountain, but at the base, right? The inverted triangle of the mountaintop. And that is so true. And so I do watch people magnetize to you. And I watch when you post, you know, the comments and the interaction, it's grand and it's what people pay for in advertising and marketing, but it comes Mm -hmm. to you naturally. I'm so obsessed with this idea of community and I wish more people would do it. So you're right. It's not just about the core values, but what else is it? Is it that people can suss out whether or not you're there for the right reasons? Absolutely. We all have instincts. We can read people pretty quickly, even though we sometimes are, we generally we're all skeptics. We all are until someone earns our trust. And if you Mm -hmm. show up with a consistency every day, They start to really recognize you. They start to hear your voice, your mannerisms, what you truly believe in. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you, if you're really thinking and you're listening to this and you're thinking about, I want to build a community, I'm going to give you some tips on that. All right, here we go. So first of all, don't be something you're not. Be Mm. genuinely authentic, whether that's flawed. We all have flaws. Show those flaws. Be relatable. You know, even people that are highly successful, you're on TV. I've built some major companies. We still have flaws. We still have self-limiting beliefs. We still have our inner critic. Share those thoughts. Don't come across as perfect or you know, poly-perfect because nobody likes that anymore. They're, that's not relatable because everybody's got problems. We all have the same level of problems. So be authentic. And here's the other thing. Is if you're trying to make everybody like you, if you're trying to be the, the popular person of the crowd and just be the social butterfly and make everybody like you and not push any buttons or not dare you know, share your true thoughts on things, then you know what? If you're trying to make everybody happy, nobody's going to love you because they're all looking for someone that speaks the thoughts that they have. That's right. So be a thought leader, not a thought responder. Start thinking about, I have this compelling thought and I, and I truly believe this. I'm not just making this up. I'm going to share that. I'll share that. And you know what? It is polarizing sometimes. Sometimes it's controversial. Sometimes people disagree But, you know, when you take those people that disagree with your thoughts, it's how you handle them. It's how you respectfully treat them that other people are observing as well. So you can actually gain a lot of respect from people who are observing, even the people that disagree with you because of the way you treat them. Open yourself up to being the polarizing sometimes, not purposefully. And when I say polarizing, I want you to know that it's not being instigative. It's not being someone that's trying to pick a fight. Mm -mm. It's about just saying what's on your mind. Yes. When you can really do that and truly be yourself, people will love you because they will start to resonate. You'll find your true audience. If you're trying to make everybody happy, if you're trying to make everybody like you, nobody will love you until you start speaking your actual mind. And that's going to attract the perfect audience for you. Right. The magnetizing of the right people to the right message. I love it. And I do, I say something all the time, which is nobody's looking for perfect. Everybody's looking for real. You know, so be you, be all in. Still, some people 
are going to want to be behind smoking mirrors and the perfectly edited photoshopped this, this and that. But man, that's why I love the live video because you let it rip in real time. You can't hide behind live video. If you're not quite ready for live video, you can still come in though and be yourself. Baby steps. What do you do when you get trolls? You know, I don't love using that term because it's so judgy, but the negative comments or the unfriending of you when you post something, let's say controversial. It used to bother me a lot, actually, because I started in June of 2017. So we're coming up on two years of me putting myself out there. Prior to that, if you go look at my social media, I would hide from selfies. And anytime <laughs> you ever see any kind of photos of me, it's because of Lisa. She was taking the photos of me. And I would just kind of you know, be like, acknowledge that. Like, okay, I'll get the photo. But you never saw me do a selfie because a lot of masculinity, ego, car-driven things like dudes just don't do that. And you hear all these things in society, but then you see the people out there, the men, and, and you admire, and you see that they're doing the things that you're not willing to do because you're holding on to this false bravado or fake ego or being like an alpha dude. I'm pretty damn alpha, let me tell you, but I don't need to be thinking that I can't do something because other people said I couldn't do it. So when I started putting myself out there, I definitely had critics. Definitely, because people are always trying to categorize you based on the persona that you created and they want to put you in that box and keep you in that box and they don't want you to crawl out of that box to go into some other category. And here's the real truth is when I finally figured out it wasn't me that was really pissing them off, it was them. It was always, always about them. Yep. The sooner you learn that it's them, not you, you'll start beating yourself up about it. Like, did I say something? Did I, mm -hmm. did I instigate this? Like, why don't they like me? Like, that's our human nature speaking in those words. But when you understand that that person just really has a damn miserable life, <laughs> something going on with that person, and they're trying to bring you down, or you know what it really is, is that they admire that what you're doing is, is something that they don't have the courage for themselves to do. So they want to bring you down. So hurt people hurt other people. That's the easiest way to remember it. And now I actually genuinely feel empathy for people like that. Yeah. So I diffuse the situation rather than try to prove them right or wrong. I, I just say, hey, man, I, I know something's going on in your life. Hope that I can help you sometime. Don't, don't be afraid to reach out. But if they continue to troll, I just block them. Me too. Yeah. I just block them. There's, it's a waste of energy. Yep. I do the same thing. And I will usually give it one, you know, mulligan, hall pass, if you will. I say the exact same thing, hurt people, hurt people. Now, I don't say that to them because they're not in the space for that. And it's a real fine line because I've been there, the judgy eye ruler slash wish I could do that. Right? <laughs> wish I had those yeah. balls. Who does this girl think she is? Oh, yeah. Ooh, I wish I could be like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and I think that the ones who were the judgy eye rollers like I was and leaning more into that mindset don't necessarily know yet that they wish that they could actually be so free. And that's just what I wish for everyone. But until someone's actually in the arena, going back to the Teddy Roosevelt quote, you know, until you're in the arena and getting after it and putting yourself out there and being courageous and brave, I don't care what you have to say, right? Because this takes great courage to get out here and put yourself on a fucking mic, sorry, you know, put yourself out there, take the selfies, man or woman, and say, this is what I think, and I'm gonna let it rip because this is what works for me. That takes bravery. And those are the kind of people that I wanna be around, the ones who just say what they really think and it's real. That's what I trust. Absolutely. Critics, I do not give a crap about them anymore. Mm -hmm. I just, I, they're not constructive. Now, here's a, here's a, here's a caveat. If 90% of your audience is really hating on you, then you're probably doing something wrong. But if, <laughs> if it's like 1% or less, it's like, that's normal. But, and I know some of the people are listening to this and they're going to be thinking like, 
you know, Michelle, Tony, I'm, I don't, I don't have any haters. I, I'm, I must be good. Well, you know what? Here's the hard truth. And I, I know it's going to really sting you. If you don't have any critics, it means you're obscure. It means you're not doing anything worth noticing yet. And that is the honest to God truth. Because when you start doing things that are extraordinary, stepping out, doing these things, adding vulnerability, sharing your true thoughts, all these things that Michelle just listed off, when you start doing that, you're putting yourself out there. Now people are going to criticize. It's human nature. It is. So if you don't have any, you're not getting the attention. You're not doing it. You're not relevant. It's so true. So I know. And I remember when I first got on TV as like a real full-time position, I went in for a review, like a, you know, biannual review. And my boss was letting me know that in the chat forums, right, the online community forums, that there was all this negative chatter about me. And of course, I'm imploding. I don't have a thick skin yet. I'm dying. I'm like, why would they be so vicious? She's like, no, this is good. It's like, what? And she was like, we always look for, and their numbers were not 1%. It was 80% positive, 20% negative. And if the scales start to tip either way, then we need to sort of, you know, look at that. She's like, but if it's 20%, then that means you're upsetting just enough people where you're striking a chord. <laughs> they don't want someone to never have negativity. That's boring. Mm-hmm. And of course, if you go way beyond 20%, well, then they probably need to rein you in and train you or whatever. So I've looked at that and I've been very blessed so far. Maybe it's because I'm very good at blocking. I'm not quite sure. I don't get 20%. It's more like the 1%, if that. And it's okay. Now I just look at that as they're hurting. Like I got a terrible review for this podcast recently. And it was a one star and it said she only wants to hear herself speak. And I thought, hmm, they clearly have never listened to an episode. But I can't delete it. It is what it is. And I'm like, well, it's supposed to be out there. You know, so what happens with you when you get like the podcast negative reviews or something like that? Because it happens to all of us. Yeah, I haven't had one on the podcast. I don't have a lot of reviews. I think it's less than 50 or something. So, hey, your listeners, go help me out there. But okay, we will. Amazon, with positives. <laughs> Amazon for sure on the book reviews. I've had something like over 100 reviews, and I think there's only like five negatives, but some of them are just, and you know, here's the thing about you want to see a good example of customer service. I responded to every single review on my Amazon book. Over a hundred of them, every one of them, good and bad. Thank them for their time. Tell them I appreciate them. Mm. Address their name if their username shows their name. And the ones with the problems, I didn't like combat them or try to prove them wrong. I just explained it. And and one guy was complaining because he couldn't refund the book and he had to pay for shipping. And I said, hey man, here's my email address. Email me. I'll pay the return shipping because I'll be happy with it. So it's Take these opportunities to shine because I know other people are going to read these comments, especially the one star stuff. And oh, if you're they, able to respond, we gravitate to that. Oh, yeah. I, I gravitate to that. When I go look at something and I see a bunch of one, I click on them too. It's human nature. Like, it is. Oh, like the five stars are given because I know that's a quality person. But what are these one star people saying? <laughs> you know? So true. It was when I received my one star and it was like, you know, the podcast had been out almost a year and I'd received all these beautiful, glowing reviews. But as soon as I read that, I immediately went to Oprah's Super Soul Conversations. And I was like, how many one stars does she have? Granted, she's got. I don't even know, 100,000 reviews, right? And she had lots of one stars, but she still had an average like 4.8 or whatever, like something ridiculously high with that many reviews. And I was like, if Oprah can, (laughs) in other words, everyone gets them. It's called life. When you put yourself out there, it is going to happen and hurt people, hurt people. Just the reality of it. But you can learn also, like you said, you can learn something from the negative reviews. It's not like you want to just put your head into the covers and delete it and block it. You want to also see if there's anything there that could glean some insight for you. Yes. 
well, think about this. Jesus Christ had haters and murderers, and he was trying to save the world. So Good point. even the best people in the world still have haters. So true. Good point. Oh, wow. You just brought it to a whole new level there, Tony. The Side Hustle Millionaire, your best-selling book. Top three takeaways. I would say that for this is a great episode for that because we're talking about mindset. So the first two chapters are devoted to mindset because I found a lot of business books talk about the business, you know, day-to-day plays of this and that and, and business strategy. I was like, where's the mindset? So you have to go buy books on mindset and you have to go buy books on business and combine the two. I was like, no, there's, right. no, you can't have a successful business without the mindset. Like we got to right. start there. So first two chapters, I kind of go through the excuses that most people have for not starting a business. No time, no money, no knowledge, just all the typical excuses that typical people like to share with each other because they're hanging out with a bunch of other average people who aspire to be average, sharing these average excuses, and they never dig deeper. If you start hanging around people like Michelle and myself, we don't take those excuses. Like if you go, I don't have time. Well, oh, let's, let's analyze your day-to-day. Right. Let's pull out your schedule and see where we can fit this in. Well, I don't have a schedule. It's like, oh, then you're not managing time. Let's get you a schedule. Oh, you know, so there's always ways to get around that when you really start to think about it. It's not your priority. And just be honest. The stings when you hear it, it's not my, not my priority to work out. It's not my priority to earn more money. It's not my priority to find my happiness. If you say it like that and you feel the pain, pay attention. That's an indicator. So true. So the mindset really helps you to unpack that it's about being resourceful, right? And, and getting more honest about the reality of what you do versus what you say you want. Mm-hmm. So the book is my process for taking your business ideas and analyzing those. I give you some real simple math to analyze the best odds. Like let's say you have two or three or four or five or 100 ideas. I help you distill those down into things that you can compare them against each other, whether that's your passion, your purpose, your expertise, the resources that you currently have available, whether that's money or a talent or a skill, or maybe you have access to a computer program or a shop, whatever it is. Like we try to figure out the ways to get you the best possible odds to get to your financial or your time goals. Those are two different goals. Most people don't realize that, but businesses either create more time for you or more money for you or both. There's a lot of these, and some people don't really care about the money. They just want more time. So we, we create these goals. We try to figure out the best odds to get you there based on the things that you currently have available. And we start to think about, it's really to get you into operation. The book will take you from idea to day one of your business. I don't really get into the operational side once it's getting going. Because for me, it's the important is to get you to start. Activated. To have that business. Create that business. Quit talking about it. Quit talking about it to all your friends at the water cooler. Someday I'm going to do this. Someday I'm going to create this business, man. I'd like to own my own company. Like, you know what? Buy this book, read it, ask some questions in the 365 Driven Group, and let's get your business started. Quit making excuses. I love it. Oh my God. For those of you who have something inside of you, go read the book and get into action. What are your rituals and routines? Morning, evening, what keeps you optimized so that you can be 365 Driven? It sounds exhausting to me because I'm very much a woman who needs spaciousness in my schedule. When <laughs> I refresh, that helps to rejuvenate me and then I can go and get done in two hours what might take some three days. I know that about me now, but it took me a minute to get there. But how do you stay 365 driven? Because I've seen you. You really live this. 
Well, I would say that's your lifestyle, the West Coast. You, you've also embraced woo a little longer than I have. Yes, so, I am very half woo, half do, baby. So I'm new to that. So I'm like the two-year woo. <laughs> so, that is the cutest thing. So, I'm the so two-year woo. So two-year you haven't, woo. Are you trying to say you haven't tapped into source energy to get all the work done for you yet, Tony? Well, well I would take that back. As I believe in law of attraction, and yes. there's too many examples of that. We actually had that conversation. I remember we talked yes, about we that. And that... When I read the book, The Secret, that was my first formal introduction to law of attraction. It was actually reading something that I already believed in. I was like, oh my God, this is a, and here's the funny thing is I read that book and it reaffirmed a lot of the beliefs and the things that I'd already been doing. But then I was like, put the book down and go, wait a minute, everybody <laughs> else doesn't think like this. Like, <laughs> right. we, we feel so guilty about that because we learn things or we have these habits and I'll get into those. But you start to think everybody does the same thing as you and, you, and you're kind of mind blown when you find out that they actually had to write a book on this. This is what I already, wait a minute. That's not what everybody does. Like, this is weird. It's like weird. It was weird reading it and then weird realizing it. So good, double weird. And <laughs> I would say that my, my routines are a little bit, I guess, abnormal. I, I don't use alarm clocks mm-hmm. and I haven't even when I had a corporate job. I mean, I've only been three years out of the workforce doing my own thing full time. Now I've owned businesses for 20 years, but I don't use alarm clocks because I can control when I go to bed. A lot of people stay up too late and they sleep in, whatever. I, my body just wakes up whenever it wakes up. I'm very much a morning person. Mm-hmm. My most productive time is in the morning. And I know that some people are like, well, I go work out in the morning. Well, you know, to me, that would be a, an immense waste of creative energy because my brain is on fire from 5 a.m. till about 12. Wow. And so that's my creative zone. And I protect that by creating the things I'm working on, whether I'm writing the next book or doing the podcast or mm-hmm. doing business plans or answering emails, anything that has like a lot of brain energy in the morning. And then about lunchtime, I start to fade. I do intermittent fasting. So I don't eat until like 11, 12 o'clock most of the time. And then I get into like this brain fade thing. Sometimes I go take a nap. That's the beauty of being an entrepreneur that works at home. Sometimes I just need a recharge because I've learned that I can suffer for the next five hours before I kind of come out of that, that coma in the middle of the day. And I'm not really that productive by doing that. But if I go lay down for 30, 45 minutes, I wake up and I'm like, just like I am in the morning, I'm recharged. So it's like I sacrificed 30 to 45 minutes to get four more hours of productivity instead of just trying to drag ass for five hours, totally. and just kind of forgetting what I'm working on. And, and then in the evenings, like we'll get off this call. It's right now, it's almost 5 p.m. I'll go to the gym. I do the, the physical stuff every day when I don't have the brain capacity because th- that makes more sense to me. So don't think that the miracle morning is like a one size fit all. Figure out where you are because you know, Lisa, she's a, she's a night person. She's more brain activity at nighttime. She's more productive at nighttime. So we're opposites and find out where your creative zone is and protect that for your creative work. And then the rest of it, do physical work. I go to bed around nine o'clock. I lay in bed. I read a book, a hardcover book for about 30 minutes every day. Even if I travel, I try to read a book and that's how I unwind my mind. And here's the funny thing about that is I I read a lot of nonfiction, positive stuff or business or mindsets. And right now I'm reading the the prophet by Cahill Gibran. It's a, it's a religious book that's been around since 1920s. What's cool is when you go to bed reading stuff like that, you actually have dreams based on the things that you read the last 30 minutes of your night. Like, and if you're reading some really incredible things, like you wake up with some pretty cool ideas and I don't really have any nightmares. I don't have any anxiety or stress or anything like that. I just don't. 
That's amazing, Tony. And then when do you let go of the cell phone or a computer, like before you go to bed? Do you have a time frame on that? Typically around 8.30, I'll get off and I'll go so take a shower minutes. and I lay in bed. So yeah, that and that's the beauty of the laying in the bed and reading the book. It's because I get sleepy doing that. And when, yep. when I realize when I start reading paragraphs and I'm not remembering what I just read, then I go, <laughs> okay, I'm tired and I'll, I'll turn the light off. It's your sleeping but, aid. Well, it could induce a theta state so that you can sleep really deeply, which is beautiful. Everyone that comes on the show answers the same question because it's why I designed the podcast, which is to talk about fulfillment, right? Because I, I felt so damn fulfilled when I came through a Tony Robbins program called Date with Destiny. And I just wanted everybody to feel that way. And I thought if I could bring on people to talk about what fulfillment means for them and unpack mindsets, we can begin to put together a toolbox anyway. So everyone that was good. Had- I like that pitch, by the way. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And and interestingly enough, I have not had one answer duplicated. Everybody has their unique version of it. No pressure. But how do you define fulfillment? I think when I was younger and I didn't have material items, I used to think that I would be fulfilled by buying the the big homes and the cars and the watches and things like that because you just think that that's associated with happiness. Mm. I would say that those things make me happy, but temporarily they don't create fulfillment. It's nice to have nice things. I'm never going to be, you know, Gary V telling people don't go spend your money. It's like, uh, no, it's fun to spend money. It's fun. Like the vacations I take and the things I do and the people I meet, like they're incredible. Like that guy, that takes money. It takes a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So that's temporary fun, but there's a difference between fun and happiness and fulfillment. So fulfillment is like what makes you whole. Hmm. It's not about happiness. It's happiness is a component of fulfillment. But for me, being fulfilled is how can I serve this world? How can I create a generational legacy to impact millions of people on this planet, whether that's inventing something because I'm an engineer or reaching them on an emotional level, giving them confidence? If I can give millions of people self-confidence to do things like you're saying, Hmm. we do the same video challenges. We help people overcome these barriers I guarantee that's going to change the trajectory of their life because I've experienced it. You've experienced it. So I want to help other people experience the things that I've gone through. I've always been the teacher. Even as a child, I would learn something and I would try to teach other people how to do it. That's just in my nature. I know not everybody's like that, but my fulfillment in this world is to be able to teach other people based on the experiences and the knowledge and the expertise that I've learned. And, and how I'm going to serve millions of people in my world is to teach people confidence and business. That's beautiful. And that's the true millionaire mindset right there. That is gorgeous. Wow. Thank you so much for coming on. It has been such a genuine pleasure getting to know you more. And I look forward to so much more, my friend. Michelle, thank you for having me on. And if your listeners want to find me, my website's 365driven.com. And I hope to connect with each and every one of you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Fire and Soul podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And of course, if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review this show on your favorite podcast player. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, you can reach me directly at fireandsoulpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.